Hello and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc. by Bamboo Work, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Work's editor in chief, and I'm joined today by Renee Vangusti, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China watcher and former investment banker. Today we'll look at a couple of macro stories, starting with a beehive of activity last week by China's central bank. We'll also look at the nation's mysterious disappearing youth unemployment rate. We'll start with the central bank, which was on a roll last week in terms of activity. Things kicked off when the People's Bank of China unexpectedly lowered a few key interest rates in its latest signal of growing concerns about the sluggish Chinese economy. That sent the yield gap between U.S. and Chinese treasuries to its highest level since 2007. A day later, it issued an unusually assertive statement saying it would keep its policy, quote, precise and forceful. And if that wasn't enough, it cautioned separately that banks should keep a, quote, proper level of profit margins. So let's begin with interest rates and the growing spread between U.S. and Chinese treasuries. Uh, Renee, can you walk us through why this is a big deal, uh, especially when the Fed seems to be raising interest rates practically every quarter? Though, in this case, we should note that China is actually lowering its rates. Well, uh, money chases money, right? Um, if you invest uh, the money that you have, whether you invest in stocks, in bonds, or uh, in cash currencies, um, you expect to uh, get a return on your investment, and uh, more importantly, you try to get the highest return uh, that you can. Um, so for money that is able to move freely around the world, when you think about foreign exchange, for instance, that money will always pursue currencies where you know investors can get a higher return. So as interest rates are going up in uh, the US and, and in Europe compared to other countries in the world, China being one, Japan, for instance, and lots of other countries, free money or moving money tends to go to where the returns are the higher. So the more demand you have for, say, the US dollar, and the less demand of people selling uh, renminbis in order to buy U.S. dollars to get a higher return obviously has a depressing effect on the value of the renminbi. So that's basically um, what is going on here. And we've seen the same thing with the Japanese yen over the past uh, few years. Mm. So that's what um, that's what is at stake here. It's a bit more complicated uh, when you um, look at China from that standpoint, because obviously the uh, renminbi is not convertible in uh, foreign currency. So you can't really have a mass exodus from Chinese people selling the renminbi to buy the euro or the US dollar and get higher returns. Although inevitably some money is always able to seep out. Mm. But for global investors who happen to have had renminbis and uh, looked at uh, the return on renminbi cash positions going down and the one on the euro and the US dollar going up, uh, there's obviously a pretty strong tendency to move out of one currency and into the others. 
Okay. But what about a okay? So I mean, that's that sort of a, that tackles the whole issue with the spread. Why why the spread got so so big? How about just what does it say about the the Chinese economy? Because the central bank really doesn't play with interest rates that much. And then also, I mean, you and I both see these central bank statements. They're usually really vanilla, you know, saying we'll be prudent. <laughs> the prudence, the word I always think of, they like to use. But this time they actually said they'll keep its policy precise and forceful, which is, I think, pretty strong words for a central bank anywhere, and certainly in China. Well, I mean, look, um, looking at it from uh, outside China and from the Western world in particular, uh, the perception is that the Chinese economy is, is in trouble and uh, that it's not only performing very well, but that it is actually uh, weakening. There's consideration of deflation. Uh, the real estate sector has been in trouble for quite a while. There's a more recent uh, risk of default for country garden. Um, the um, unemployment, especially youth unemployment, is very high. Exports are down. So uh, if, if you look at all of that, then it makes sense for the central bank, the government, to uh, try and come up with measures that they believe will help improve the economy. And I think that they're, on one hand, that's what they're doing. On the other hand, they're relatively cautious, <laughs> at least compared to what people uh, outside China and probably in China as well were expecting or are expecting in terms of stimulus measures. Hmm. Um, but that explains obviously why the central bank has been cutting interest rates. And once again, uh, you know, the uh, renminbi more recently was trading somewhere between 7.2 and 7.3 to the dollar, which is much, much weaker than, than a year ago. And there's an explanation there. One, two, two side. One is uh, obviously uh, interest rates direction, which are absolutely in opposite uh, direction between the dollar and the renminbi. The other one is the belief that the Chinese economy is, um, is, is in real trouble. Mm -hmm. okay. Seems like uh, they're usually a bit more low key. That's just my perception. Anyhow, next, uh, we'll move on to our second topic, which is vanishing youth unemployment. And of course, I'm being just a little facetious here as youth unemployment is a very real problem in these days. But the National Statistics Bureau, which compiles the figure, announced quite suddenly last week that it'll no longer publish the figure each month. Now, that comes as China's youth unemployment reaches record highs, last reported at 21.3% in June. So why did this move catch so many people by surprise? And what do you think, you know, is the significance here? I'm not too sure that the world should be surprised, frankly speaking. <laughs> um, why is that? It is, um, well, because uh, this is not the first time that uh, statistics that are obviously not looking very good and seemingly paint a deteriorating situation stop being published mm. uh, in China. Um, this is not the first time. So I'm not too sure why people are surprised that it happened. As we have seen 
over the past, let's say, six months, definitely one year, that specific statistic about youth unemployment has been going up. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be about 17 to 19 percent, then it got close to 8 to 20. Then people started to question whether it could break the threshold of 20. I mean, I don't think that there's anything magic about 20, but, you know, people like round numbers and they like to put, you know, ceilings here and there or floors. Um, and then it went over uh, 20%. So uh, the trend, I think, was pretty clear. And therefore, it is not a surprise that uh, these statistics, the government made the decision to stop publishing the statistics. Now, statistics are statistics, and every country comes up with uh, unemployment and employment figures and so on for, you know, overall population, for youth, for whatever. And there's typically at least uh, a norm that um, that has been uh, designed by the uh, United Nations. And uh, I think that a lot of countries follow that norm in terms of determining the number. I think what China is saying is that they need to take a look to see whether their numbers were calculated using that scale or not, number one. Number two, whether it makes sense for an economy like China, which obviously uh, always like to um, you know, compare everything in the world to the same thing with Chinese characteristics. Um, so it's, it's all of that that's going on. There was a study uh, in China um, uh, last week or the week before that uh, kind of claimed that the rate is actually much, much higher if you uh, extend it beyond uh, what is urban uh, society in terms of employment versus unemployment. Uh, typically in China, the employment or non-employment figures uh, that uh, have been published historically were always based on urban employment and, and not the whole picture for the country. So, you know, I think that's that's what is going on here. They will eventually, I believe, they will uh, rework the way that uh, they measure uh, unemployment, especially for young people. And I think that uh, they will, I'm sure, come up with a number that is more uh, or less um, concerning. And uh, when they have that, they will, I think, start publishing those statistics again. Uh, And in the beginning, they will provide lengthy explanations as to why this is now a correct representation of what is happening. Many people outside China believe the country undercounts its unemployment. Why is that? And if that's the case, do you think this figure could be even higher and how does it compare with figures in other markets like the U.S. and Europe? Um, well, unemployment, youth unemployment in the U.S. Um, as of June this year was 8.7%, fairly stable compared to a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, historically, it's been, I think, between 
four five percent and and something like 12 13 percent right at the time of uh, the global financial crisis mm -hmm. but uh, right now it's it's um, in a more normal uh, environment if you want it was 8.7 percent in june mm -hmm. um europe i don't know the i don't know the figures uh, for europe but it's it's generally less of an issue in in europe or at least in most european countries because there is uh, a strong um, uh, social safety net, if you want. And uh, you, in uh, some European countries, for instance, that come out of school and cannot find uh, employment, you can actually get unemployment financial assistance of different form and, and, and sometimes there are conditions attached to it mm. in terms of demonstrating that they're looking for jobs and so on. But there's there's generally a um, you know a strong uh, social safety net. Um, Spain was particularly after uh, the global financial crisis. Spain at some point in time had the youth unemployment that was way in excess of 20%. That obviously has uh, come down over the years. Hmm. Um, why do people think that um, that China undercounts? Um, I, I think that. There are two reasons for that. I think that people who follow China somewhat closely know that, generally speaking, unemployment figures that have been published by China focus on urban unemployment. Um, and, and I believe that is uh, the same for youth unemployment. So uh, it's an easy step for you know lots of people to assume that there has to be unemployment also, um, you know, outside the urban environment and that therefore the number has to be hmm. uh, higher, bigger and so on. Um, the, uh, the second reason is that people in the West have, uh, I think, long been suspicious of uh, certain statistics that are published by Chinese authorities when in particular when they start looking not so positive mm -hmm. and um, i think that's where the skepticism is is coming from mm -hmm. all right yeah and actually i i remember reading at one point i think too that uh the official unemployment rate is is among huko you know people who actually are officially residents of a city so it doesn't necessarily correct catch all the you know, the migrant people who are right. quite sizable. Okay. All right. Well, uh, let's wrap it up there. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us this week. In our next program, we'll look at a major global microchip deal that China appears to have scuttled. And we'll also look at a lighter story that means big business, namely the China bubble tea craze and a move by one of its leaders to Europe. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and rate us and share us on your favorite podcast app. Meantime, hope to see you all next week. Bye for now. Goodbye. Thank you all.